chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. That's on page 524 in your Bible. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, we ask as we come to your word, you would help us. Help us to understand what you are saying. Help us to apply it. May we be be thrilled may we be excited may you teach us what you would have us teach may you correct us change us rebuke us encourage us strengthen us in all things we pray keep me from error we ask in jesus name amen psalm 1 is a great example of hebrew poetry it's a small one but it is a good example. It's a pretty typical example of Hebrew poetry. Some people think it serves as an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. So there's quite a lot of them. Psalm 1 is thought to be that introduction, and I think that's probably right. It's reasonable, I think. The psalm is called a wisdom psalm, and so there's a wisdom way of approaching which not all the psalms seem to flow with after that, but it's one of the wisdom psalms. It's a, a contrast, as you might have read, between the righteous and the wicked. It's broken up into three parts. Firstly, the contrast comes out in verse 1. There are two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. So blessed is the one who does not walk, in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. The righteous person is the one who does not simply walk in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked is someone who hasn't committed themselves to live the way that God has made them to live, the way the Creator has created a way to live, they haven't put themselves on that path. The person who walks right before God is the person that does not do the things the wicked do. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? 
They don't follow the wicked's attitudes or their actions. They're not influenced by them. They don't listen to their crook advice. The righteous here are painted as doing the opposite of the wicked. And you notice the progression in verse 1 of the terms. They do not walk. They do not stand. They do not sit. It's very interesting. It's a lovely little poetic set there. The whole of life is being emphasised and it's a big contrast. But what you can say is whatever the wicked do, the righteous do not. In one sense, bad company corrupts and so you don't hang around with them. That's sort of what verse 1 is saying. The blessed in doing this are said to be blessed. Sorry, the righteous are said to be blessed or another way of putting it is happy. It doesn't mean they have a permanent smile on their face uh, like some sort of buffoon. No, that's not what it's meant. What it's meant is that in walking God's way, that's where they find fulfilment. That's how they live their lives. You might understand it better from the contrast. I don't know about you. I can only speak about me, though I know the Bible tells me you've got the same sort of problems. If I find myself not walking God's way, I'm not that thrilled with it. It troubles me. I might actually struggle with having done something or been something. I might be guilty. Feel guilt. It's called conscience. Have you heard of it? Conscience. It's not very big out in the world nowadays. Consciences, I don't think. But it strikes. The righteous are happy when they walk God's way. Every now and then, you will be tempted, as I am tempted, and you might give in, as I give in, to saying, doing things like just a sort of little subtle lie, you know, those sort of things, where you just sort of go, yeah, well, you know, pretty much, instead of saying, no, I haven't done it, or, or I've done it, or, you, you know, you just, there's a little tweak on it, if it just suits you. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. And I've done it. And I wish I'd say I wouldn't do it now. I don't want to do it. I probably won't do it, but I can't say I won't because I have. How do I live in that? I'll tell you. I don't live happy in that. Because I've been made to walk as you've been made and if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you've committed your way. But if every now and then we deviate from it, we just go over here a little bit, it doesn't make me happy. I don't mean the smile. I just don't. You could take it as contentment, but I want to say it's a little bit more than that. I'm really unhappy if I'm not obeying the Lord. I'm not stupid enough to think that I do that perfectly because I don't. 
But if I make a conscious choice to just do that thing because I just helped me right there, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel right. I'm not right. The righteous were made to walk in God's ways. The best way for a righteous person to walk is in his path, in his ways. You will be feeling like you're in the right place. You will be not troubled by your conscience. You will be empowered because you are being enriched in your obedience. God meets you in his love. The righteous put their trust in him for God is reliable and they are happy in following and obeying God and they is what they were made for and so they seek it. The worst times might be when you're by yourself, when no one else is there. No one else can see what you do. No one else can hear the words you say, maybe under your breath. No one can listen to the attitudes of your heart and mind. That could be the real test. What are you like in private? I remember I was on a working bee in Tamworth once. That might surprise you that, that I've ever worked. But anyway, I, I was on a working bee. We were, we were chopping wood. You know, you're in Tamworth. You, you do really manly things when you go to the country. Uh, you do manly things around here too. So there we are. We, we're doing chainsawing and all this sort of things. And I even picked up a chainsaw. Uh, I don't know that anyone would let me now. But anyway, I remember we were doing something or whatever. Anyway, we had a hammer. I don't know why we had a hammer. We had a hammer and I banged my thumb because, well, I'm a minister, so I really don't know what a, a hammer is or a, a nail, really. That's what ministers are like. Anyway, I banged my thumb. I went, whack. And I went, ooh. And the guy next to me, who actually wasn't from church, he was just doing manly things, was really impressed. Because why? He thought, that's right, he thought that was a real test. If you're going to go whack and do nothing, he thought, wow, there you go. Now, that had nothing to do with my greatness, but it, what it, is, it is a sense of what God is doing in you. Is that the person who is on the right way, who walks his way, has God's spirit, is righteous because God has declared them to be, just is God's way at times. It will come out. The righteous are happy when they're there because that's blessed life. Verses 2 to 3 keep going on what the righteous are. They delight in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. The righteous person is like this. They love 
instruction, we could say. The word for law here could be understood as instruction. The righteous person delights in what God has to say to them. They meditate on it, they, which isn't the Eastern um, empty your mind, though uh, not that sort of stuff, not that stupid stuff. What it is, is about actually thinking and applying and assessing how you are. What is God saying here? What is he saying to me? How does it affect the way I live? Have I been doing it? And what should we do? Have we been doing it? Blah, blah, blah. You weigh up the advice from the expert and you find it and you follow it. Who's the expert? God. When we need things done, you go to the expert. I remember when I needed uh, if I needed painting done or if I needed woodwork done or I needed the lock change or I needed someone to hang a door, I could ask Bill. He was an expert in that area. He could tell me. He could show me. I would then get it wrong, but it could happen. You go to the expert, you ask, and you receive. When it comes to God, we go to him because he knows all about us. He created us, he created us, our world, and he created us to live in his ways. The biggest lie that Satan ever told you and ever told our world and told many dear people to me is that God's ways are restrictive. They're constricting. They're horrible. Don't follow them because they'll break your freedom. The biggest lie, the biggest lie has ever been told. God made us that we might know his ways and delight in them. What does that mean? It means that the righteous person delights in the instruction of the Lord because they know that that is the way they want to live and in doing so, they are happy. They are blessed. They are in the right place. God made them a place and they walk in it. They're committed to learn from God day by day. Do you like... uh, Olympic athletes and things like that. Are you amazed at professional sportsmen? I'm amazed at them. They get up, they eat the right things. Who can be bothered eating the right things? They get they get all the sleep they should get. They go to train and they do this and they do that and they do this and they do that and do this and do it again. Quite amazing devotion and sacrifices they can make for their sport. In a sense, this commitment to doing things is here, but it's a delight. It's not hard. It's not horrible. It's delightful. Sometimes Christians walk around as though they are miserable. And I don't understand that. Because if God gave me the way to live, and he's given me that, and I can live in it, that's pretty great. Because when I was 19, that's not how I lived. I'd been in the church since I was zero. Can you be in the church since you were zero? Any mathematicians here? You know, before you're one, are you zero? 
Uh, zero is a hard concept for me. But by the time I was 19, I decided actually, you know, 18 and things like that, ah, yeah, I know better. I know better. And I'm just going to do my thing. And so you go out and you experience what the world has to offer. It took about 18 months for me to realise, my goodness, not only does the world not have any idea what it wants to offer, it's boring, it was pointless, it was destructive, and I was miserable. God wanted me to live his way, and when I tried to live that way, I was miserable, literally. God's instruction means that we accept that he has the right path for us and we entrust ourselves into it. And I can assure you that what Psalm 1 is assuring us, it's a delight. A delight. If you've held yourself back, please don't because you will find joy, you will find hope. The righteous are literally delighted to be in God's ways. To follow God and to please him is just simply a great way to live. It can make you literally happy. But even if you're not always smiling like a buffoon, to be in God's path is the wondrous place to be. As I said, people have been tricked into thinking it's a drag or constricting or that they're missing out on real freedom. No, no, it's the biggest lie. True freedom is found in Jesus Christ. True freedom is found in God's way. Free to live for him instead of doing this other stuff, which I couldn't stop doing. If the, the, the uh, image we're given here is in verse 3. The righteous person is like a tree that is planted firmly by water, a thriving plant, a plant that is fed abundantly, is in the right spot, in the right soil, where it continues to grow and produce good fruit. That's where you are when you trust the Lord Jesus with your life. The righteous person, because they draw close to their God, their life source, has what they need, will continue to be given all they need, will grow, flourish, and our lives are not boring, but enriching and fulfilling. People say to me, I want what you have. Have you ever been asked that question? How do you answer it? It's a hard one because they must go after the life source to have what you have. You can't just buy it and sell it. You can't package it. I can't give you three easy steps. I can give you two ways to live, maybe. But people need this stuff, this graphic image 
of being fulfilled, enriched. Like, um, the picture here is the wicked are very different in verses 4 to 5, and the psalm is very certain that it's actually opposite of what we've just said. Instead of being the green, healthy tree, bursting with health, prospering, prospering the psalm states emphatically, not so the wicked. We're given here this graphic image. They are like chaff. It's, uh, has anyone been a winnower? You've been a winnower? You've winnered? Have you winnered? Did you just say, Phil, you've been a winnower? You've seen a winnower. It's not easy to say winnower. Is that what you say? Is that, what, is that right? A winnower? It's right, isn't it? A winnower is someone who winnows. Anyway, apparently it's where you get the pitchfork and chuck it in the air on the threshing floor and the chaff blows away. Is that right? Did I get that right? Anywhere near right. The good stuff falls back down. So you do that a few times, and by the time you've done that, the stuff that you've got left is the good grain that you wanted at harvest time. But the chaff is the stuff which is light, useless, and blown away. It's quite a graphic picture. It's the idea of judgment strongly conveyed here. The chaff is separated from the good seed, and verse 5 says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They're not presented as the healthy, vibrant tree, but as a dead, dried up, lacking the life source which God provides. They are lifeless. They're not healthy and vibrant. And unlike the righteous, their delight is not in what God says, not in God's delight. And so there's a contrast in verse 6. It picks up verse 1 and the contrast of the righteous to the wicked. There is really two ways which people live, it says. The righteous live according to God's ways. They live in him, with him, and through him in all that they do. That's how they act. That's who they are. That's what they be. He's not excluded from their daily lives, but he shapes it. He shapes who they are at all times. They live in a close relationship with this God and they delight in his instruction. The wicked, on the other hand, live without God. Their focus in life does not conform to God's way and so they are presented as useless and they perish. It's interesting for me, I, I have uh, two friends uh, who are uh, in the building trade who, who uh, talk about who I asked them, who, was your, who are your worst customers? And they said, uh, believe it or not, the worst people to work for were Christians. Uh, that was the ones they'd had more trouble with. They were the ones who, in one case, didn't pay them, sort of just didn't pay them about 10 grand or something, so couldn't get the money out of them. 
You had to go into a second mortgage to cover that cost. Uh, other times they just found them to be very demanding, wanting things to be done that were extra, for nothing, etc., etc., etc. The picture we have in Psalm 1 is very black and white. And in one sense we can talk this way and it is true. It is true because God is telling us and is right. And yet in the context of who the righteous are, we find not all the righteous are that righteous. They're all over the place. They have all sorts of attitudes. Some of them are pretty hard attitudes. Some of them not quite right attitudes. Some of them the way they conduct themselves. So it's, it's interesting, as we read this stuff, let's focus on the righteous because that's who we say we are. How are we going to be? Matthew, says, uh, Matthew 7 says, of course, wide is the gate and broad that leads to the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So here we are on this narrow road. Is it going to be good enough for us not to be people that the builder wants to deal with? Is that going to be the way we run our lives, even if I'm righteous? No, we're not going to run our way we're going to have to listen to God's instruction. We're going to have to examine ourselves soberly and examine our hearts and our actions at all times. We're going to have to commit ourselves to the change that God wants us to, to delight in. This passage describes life as a road. This, describes, this psalm describes life as two paths that can be taken can be taken. Of course, the question is, have you chosen God's path? Do you delight in it? If you've delighted in it, if you're going that way, how are you doing in it? Do you like to run your own life? The Bible says we all do. Are you giving over your life? Are you honestly relying on God daily, examining him, listening to his instructions? How precious is God's word to you? How, how regularly do you read it? People pay big costs to be in this path. I had a Presbyterian elder friend. I've got a few, got a few Presbyterian elder friends. Uh, he was in a country church, which is in the country up there, and his family was closed brethren. We'll call them closed brethren. They don't like that term, but anyway, let's call it that. What that meant was as a Christian, as he accepted what the Lord Jesus had been, he hadn't seen his family for about 40 years. They, uh, as you might be aware, the exclusive brethren, closed brethren, the Plymouth brethren, if you like that, wouldn't meet with him. And so his family wouldn't meet with him, certainly wouldn't eat with him. And I remember he came to me, it was a wonderful thing because one day he had a cup of tea with his mum and dad who were 
in their 80s at the time. That was a marvellous breakthrough, a great answer to prayer. It cost that man a lot. After the cup was finished, by the way, his cup of tea, he was on his way. He wasn't going to get a meal because eating a meal with wasn't allowed. He'd given up a lot to follow Jesus. There is no other way but to follow the God who has made us and given us his person in the person of Jesus. And so 1 Peter 1 puts it this way. Though you have not seen him, which is pretty much me, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As the righteous, as we might like to think of ourselves, we are to delight to what God has done for us because he loved us in the person of his own saviour, our saviour, Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray that we might be in your way and in your walk, in your paths. We thank you that that's because of your great love for us. Nothing to do with us, really. It's a great gift. We've been given it, and we pray, Lord, we would walk in it. Help us to be people who are sober, sober-minded, sober-minded in how we examine ourselves. For, Lord, there's a lot about us which you need to work in and change, and that's going to continue all the days of our life. Please keep conforming us to be yours. Please help us to be conformed in the pattern of the Lord Jesus into very likeness of him, that we might delight in your instruction, love your word and live it and be known for it. Help us, we pray. Correct us. Make us more like Jesus, we ask. In whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song before we come to the Lord's Supper. Behold the Lamb. Let's stand and sing.